How much does a producer make? Did you go to school? What did you study? What's a showrunner? I've never heard of that. What does a director do? What's the best part of your job? How do I get in? Who do I need to know? It's time to ask your questions. We're here for you. Welcome to 101, a podcast for young women interested in careers in film and TV. We'll sit down with industry professionals, ask them your questions, and get the answers you need to know. 101, it's It's a beginning. beginning. Hey guys, welcome to 101, a podcast. And we are so excited because we are here with supervising sound editor, Lydia Templanitsa. Did I get it? Got it. Okay. Lydia, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Where are you from in Australia? I'm from Sydney. Where in Sydney? Epping. I know where Epping is. (laughs) Really? I lived in Sydney. Uh, I worked on a a movie, but I, I lived in Eastwood for a little bit. Yeah, that's right near Epping. Yep. So when did you move here? So I moved here in 2004 Okay, and I had been working in Australia as a sound editor and I met a few American people, actually quite a few American people when they were working on Matrix Revolutions, uh, but uh, two and three. And I had never really thought about the US as a place that I ever wanted to go. I was very interested in going abroad, but it was more Europe because my family are Italian and because I'd lived there for a while. And then I met these Americans and they were awesome. And (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought, oh my gosh, why had I never thought about the US as a place to go? Especially I work in the film industry. That is logically the place to go. So I, I went on a vacation to LA and really had a good time and then came over to New York for a bit. And I think I loved New York because it wasn't totally, I felt like LA, there was so, it was so much film. It was film everywhere. Everybody worked kind of film adjacent or in film or whatever (laughs) um and um I'd heard these funny stories actually about oh yes this doctor was delivering my baby and he gave me a (laughs) he gave me a script I'm like (laughs) it's probably a myth but you know I'd heard those kind of stories and um and New York to me was just like this cosmopolitan city everyone did all the things nobody gave a shit if you worked in film sorry yes um and I liked that because I thought you know it's not the be all end all in terms of industry like there's so much more out there and anyway went back to Australia after the vacation and a guy who I'd met in New York who was a friend of a friend who was a sound guy Ben Chia he called me and said you know Nicole Kidman needs to do some we need to record Nicole Kidman in Sydney can you help us out and I was like sure so I did that for them and I thought you know what maybe I really do want to just go and like try it out and so I did that's and so in 2004 that's what I did and I didn't know if I was going to stay and I did I stayed that's been (laughs) 17 years yeah (laughs) wow wow Can you explain to us, I know Kate mentioned what you, what your title is, but can you explain to us what you do and how do you define your role? Sure. 
I am a supervising sound editor and I've kind of been doing the dialogue side of things. I know you had James Redding on and he does the effects side of things. And what I do is I take the sound that the that the picture editor has put together with his, with his or her picture cut and I use the dialogue that goes along with those shots and I smooth it out, make it sound great, make it sound clear. Sometimes there are, there are areas of the film or television show that are hard to hear or the director wants to change a line. So we do this thing called ADR, which is automated dialogue replacement. And that's where we grab the actor put them in a studio, show them the picture, <laughs> and they have to redo the line in sync. Yeah, which is hard. It's hard for the actor. There are some great actors who are really amazing at it, um, but it's, it's not well loved <laughs> as a process. Right. But then I take that and I put it in better sync and I really try and make it sound like the production dialogue which was the dialogue recorded on set just so that it doesn't you know pop out so smoothing out of dialogue making it clear that's kind of what I do. Lydia how did you know that you wanted to be in the business like was there one particular moment or something that you it's always been something that you're interested in? I think when I went to university in Sydney I I wanted to do media and communications and I wasn't quite sure what that meant in terms of what I was going to do after university, but um, I could major in radio or film or journalism and I chose radio. I loved kind of the audio aspect of it and just that you didn't have the visuals kind of dictating how you imagined. It was kind of like a book to me. That's what I feel like sound is. So I worked in radio for a little bit and there was this community radio station that kind of worked within our, the university that I was attending. And I got really into that, loved it. But then the show that I was doing was kind of more journalistic based. And I realized actually, that's not what I love about radio. I, I like just the sound. So if we had podcasts back in the 90s, I totally would have gone into podcasts. Then I stumbled across this film and television school that was close by and they had a workshop on sound for my favourite movie. What was the movie, can I ask? It was, yeah, it was Oscar and Lucinda. I didn't even really think about sound for movies at that point. And I went along cold, knew nobody, uh, just went and... It was, the, it was then that I kind of thought, that's it. That's what I want to do. I didn't even know this job existed and this is it. This is what I want to do. Because it was creative, but it was also working in a team and it was my aha moment. <laughs> I think my interest in sound was kind of peaked slightly doing the radio, but especially for our listeners. I do not believe that if you go to college, you should go to college for film if necessarily, if you want to be a sound person or if you want, like, I do think it's great to have 
film history. It's great to, you know, it's great to go to college. I'm not saying don't go to college, but I don't think like extra study, masters, all those kind of studies are necessarily relevant for working in this industry in any capacity, quite honestly. I think you as a person and your interest and like that should be the driving force and also experience like on the job experience, mm -hmm. especially in sound. You know, I've started in this industry twice, once when I was in Australia. And then when I came here, I'd already been in the industry for 10 years. So, and I started at the bottom again, just because things were different here, you know, learning on the job and just listening and watching and taking the time really is invaluable. I think when you come into the industry and you want to work on a big film, like you've got to understand the collaborative nature of what we do. We are not solo. Like just because I'm called the supervising sound editor, I don't do everything. Like I need all the people around me to be doing what they're good at. And I, I need all those people together to, to make this happen. And I think that's the value and experience and in sitting back and listening and starting over, you know, instead of getting out of university and saying, I only want jobs as sound designers because that's what I've been doing. Maybe just go and see if you can intern or assist or do something for somebody because that's where they started most likely. That's where mm -hmm. we all start. And it's great because you do kind of get a really great foundation of how things work and kind of the production line of things. I'm sure that's with any job in this industry and any job mm -hmm. in most industries really. And that's how you kind of make it happen. I think it just takes a little time. It took a lot of time for me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Lydia, I was going to ask you, like you said that you started twice, essentially, because you, you, you worked in the industry in Australia yeah. and then you came here and you started over. Was there like a couple things that you learned from that, from having the opportunity to do it twice or things that you appreciated more now? Um, yes, I would say that the in starting twice, I realized that it's about making relationships with people. And that's kind of 95% of this job. And I didn't know anyone when I came here. I knew, like, I barely knew this one person. And so being the intern, I was in a less threatening position, of course. And I got to know people and got to love these people and I think the feeling was mutual because then I would be hired. I mean, when I came here, there were technical things that I also felt like I didn't quite know and they were different from in Australia. But when I started here, we were still digitizing pneumatic tapes and, you know, at 29.97 or so there was a lot of stuff that as an Australian, I had never had to deal with. So that technically was really a great learning experience. Could I tell you how to do it today? Probably not because <laughs> it's so technical, but I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. But yeah, it was a, it was a really 
great learning experience. And but I really do believe that 90% is the relationships that you forge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's I think that's part of why I fell in love with doing this. It's like yeah. I love the work, I love the creativity, I love everything that goes with the art. But you know, when you work with really great people, yeah, it makes such a difference. Yeah, so. it really does. It really does. Yeah. And there's something there's something interesting about the United States for me, like that I didn't find in Australia. Like I did have a really supportive supervising sound editor um, in Australia, but I felt like the overall climate in Australia was that you know you don't want to you don't want to be seen as too ambitious. It's weird. That's but an Australian thing, though, right? It is. Yeah, it is. Syndrome, they call it. Anyway. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but here it was like, yeah, you go. You know, <laughs> there was some real supportive network of people that just said, if you think you can do it, do it. I find that really helpful because especially as a female, like, you know, I don't, we don't always have the most confidence in ourselves, especially in a very male dominated um, industry. So to have support, though, is what you need, I think. So you kind of took us through your schooling and, and what, you, what led you to being in this industry. And what was your first gig? And what was that like? My first gig was Perfume. It was this movie that was directed by Michael Reimer, who went on to direct Battlestar Galactica, the reboots which are so cool. And it was done in America. So, um, and it had Leslie Mann in it mm. when mm -hmm. she was so young and so cute. And I was loading DATs. Do you know what DATs are? Like they're these uh, digital audio tapes and they were, that's what they had used to record the sound on. And so I was loading, it was so unglamorous, <laughs> but I was so excited about it. <laughs> but I yeah I just couldn't get I just being around the film and just people working on the film was enough for me just felt so cool and that there's a project you know it's like there's a beginning middle end and then it's done any lessons you can remember from those first few days or gigs anything that you can remember that was like eye-opening um I remember working uh like sitting in with the effects editor and she was telling me that she was from New Zealand originally and um, for a film that she had worked on the background there was background birds or something within the film and the film was set in possibly the US I can't remember and she had put in all these Australian birds <laughs> and, and she said don't do that because you have to remain true to the, the location. Yeah, yeah. The location. Yeah. So that was funny. I'm like, oh yeah, I never thought about that. But it's true. And I a lot of the um, sound editors I work with and sound designers, like there is a sharing of sound effects and things depending on location. Like I know um, just recently a friend of mine who works in the UK had emailed me and said, uh, 
do you guys have any wins? Because I'm working on a job that's set in the desert in Wyoming and I don't have any of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so people try to be true to location. Yeah, and Australian birds are very, very distinct. Mm. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I remember being in Sydney and it was like my first week there and yeah. I thought it was a pterodactyl. I was like, <laughs> what is that <laughs> it's so true when I grew up um I had to walk to the bus stop through this park and there were, we would always I think my parents would always say they're swooping magpies like they swoop down and grab your hair for their nest <laughs> so you know you gotta be careful they were the stories that were told oh to my gosh and oh then I watched gosh. the birds by Alfred Hitchcock and I was forever scarred and you'd like run through the park. <laughs> oh my God. It's true. They do exist, those birds. <laughs> Let's uh, dive into sort of your day-to-day -day responsibilities. Like what does a day in the life look like for, for Lydia? Right now I'm supervising a show for Netflix, a t uh, not a TV show, a film. And I have several people working for me, like a sound designer, Foley, people and another dialogue editor I really feel like with all my years in the industry like communication is one thing that I feel really um, strongly about and so I'm trying to be really great at communicating so I really check in with everybody and um, right now I am trying to I've made an ADR list a list of ADR for principals that I feel like needs to get done and mm -hmm. I'll, I've just sent that to the director and the editor and they will go through the list and oftentimes they have stuff to add like they might add extra lines and then there'll be other things like maybe lines that I put on for technical reasons that they're like no I don't want to redo that so <laughs> um, <laughs> which is completely fine I don't feel strongly about it. Like there might be times where I do fight for a certain line because I just, because I've heard all the split microphones mm. and I can hear the lavalier or I can hear the boom and I just know that that line is, is sticking out compared to the rest as a really noisy, noisy line. But, you know, I'm working for the director and the editor, so what they say goes and if they need my advice I give my advice but you know I'm not precious about that stuff like you can't be you know where it's it's a group effort here yeah and then I'm I'm fine-tuning the dialogue trying to make it all sound better and that's my day trying to uh make the magic happen. <laughs> I wanted to circle back on something that you talked about that I feel like doesn't come up often because we always focus on creativity and art and things like that and all of the the other things that go along with our our industry and our our jobs but what are other skills like you mentioned communication and how you've been working on you know just being very clear with communication but are there other skills that should be on our radar for being a leader in this industry or just functioning in this industry um because 
I think it's something that doesn't get talked about. It gets talked about in corporate America and, you know, when you work in other worlds, but I feel like creatives sometimes forget that you need to have other skills um, in order to, to have a really great experience. So can you talk about anything else that you think is really important? Communication for sure is number one. It just makes things so much smoother when we get down to the final mix which you know is essentially this is it this is the final mix this is what this project is going to sound like so let's so working toward all being on the same page before you get there is ideal so a lot of times like we have spot we call them spotting sessions with the director and editor where you know, after they've kind of delivered us their picture cut, we sit and watch the movie with them and they talk about what they want to feel, what they want to hear, um, so that we're on the same page um, before we start. It sounds like communication is like probably the most- It is. I I totally think it is. Funnily enough, my first uh, supervisor that I worked with, Andrew Plain, who, um, in Sydney, who's now deceased, unfortunately. Um, he told me a long time ago that he had studied psychology before becoming mm. the sound editor. And he's like, it is the best thing ever <laughs> that I've ever done to prepare for this job. <laughs> and it made me laugh because, you know, we're in an artistic business. It's good to understand the human condition and not get too caught up in that you know like just to to be able to read people and understand where they're coming from and you know we're making movies we're not conducting surgery it's gonna be okay you know I think after becoming a parent I'm like I can't let some things just get better at me in terms of stress and things like that. I mean, I still get stressed, but I just can't let it overtake me and my life. And I think that's healthy for everybody, children or not. I think we have to just like take a step back and be able to kind of assess the situation for what it is. So that's another thing. I don't know what you would call that in a nutshell. (laughs) Perspective. Perspective. Meredith, we get a prize. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. And would the other thing be balance, which kind of goes into perspective also. Just um, I do feel like there was a time when I was working as an assistant on, on these big films and we were working from like eight till midnight or one in the morning on these mixes and it's it just it's all consuming and I don't want to do that again and I don't think it's healthy for anybody to do that and let's face it nobody is productive after all that I was going to ask like do you think that is there anything that you learned from that or did you just learn like that's just something that isn't necessary (laughs) (laughs) I learned that it's not necessary. I mean, I and, and I really do think that sometimes we do need to work a couple of extra hours, say, you know, because it's not been budgeted correctly. But after 9 p.m., nobody's productive. Yeah. Maybe 
now in this day and age, we we talk a lot more about mental health and balance. Mm -hmm. So I think we're headed in the right direction. And I haven't done those crazy hours for a really long time, but I just think we all have to set the example that it's yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we know that that isn't the best part of your job, but what is the best part of your job? <laughs> I'm going to say the people. It, it always is. I, I get like little rewards in making something work that didn't work before and nobody's going to know the difference. So it's like my own little reward. It's not like I, I'm going to get accolades from anyone because I hope they don't notice it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I love that, you know, we get to work with different people for each project. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting to me is, you, you know, the, the collaboration changes. I think mm-hmm. it, it keeps things fresh. What would you say is the most difficult? Oh, I'm going to say uh, balance. <laughs> I know it's, it's what I said is really important, but um, just being a parent, I find balancing work and, and home life challenging. Like it's always a work in progress, I think. I think I have to steer away from the feeling of guilt about that because I do feel great about the fact that I have a job and that I'm a working parent. Um, I like my job is part of my identity and I want my kids to know that I enjoy what I do, you know, that I have a passion for what I do. Um, And I hope they do too when they grow up. But yeah, just being present for them sometimes I, I do feel twinge of guilt about that. There are lots of women in the film industry, I think, who have kids, but there are lots that don't. And I've always wanted children. There's one thing that you feel in the film industry is that um, you've got to keep moving. There's just, there's a momentum, right? And I, I talked to one woman, she was still young, she was 29, and I asked her if, if she wanted um, children and which is not necessarily a very PC thing to ask, but <laughs> we had a relationship, but, uh, but she said, I do, but I feel like I need my career to be further along. And I completely relate to that. Like when I had my first, she's, he's now 10, I was in this kind of limbo but I'm so glad I did because I, I just thought oh, I'm going to go away and, you know, if I take some time off, no one's going to remember me. No one's going to hire me. That's not true. And I just think it's important to know that. Don't not have them because you think that your career is going to suffer. I think that, you know, it may suffer for a little while, but it can always get back there. I'm so glad that you said that because I feel like it's the stigma that, you know, it exists throughout the industries, like whether you're in finance, whether you're in whatever career you're in, it's this idea that women having children are not as capable as people who don't have children and they're not as dedicated and um, it's nonsense. (laughs) Yeah, it is total nonsense. It makes you think about what has to change in the industry. And I think that kind of leads us to our, our next question. What has to change in this industry? <laughs> this. <laughs> this and all, I, I have two things, two things. 
and, but this goes for every industry, obviously. Like there should be a cushion for people who have kids, whether it be childcare or I don't know, like even if one of the big companies would have a daycare or something, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> it would just be so much easier. That's what I've heard. Many women have suggested this idea. Yeah. One guest was a new mom and she's like, you know, I can come back to work, but you know, I should be able to, to be able to nurse and, and have that access to make it friendlier for, for women returning back from maternity leave. So, um, yeah. I mean, I was pumping, I was, I was like at my desk pumping, um, from after my second. And luckily I was able to get them to make it happen that I had my own room because I mean, it, you need to have your own space to do that. It's fine if people don't know, and it's our job to just normalize these conversations and say, listen, no, and, and to frame it that way so that they understand that it's not okay. But once they know, they have to know that moving on, they have to make the accommodations that are needed. Yeah, normalizing it. You, that's the perfect that's, word. That's what it is. And it's having these conversations. So, um, but how crazy is it that we're talking in 2022 about normalizing? I know. What the yeah. hell? You know, mixes can be really intense periods of time where I have to leave my house at 7.30 and I get back at 8. You know, and I just had a lot of feelings about that. Like, is this, I really want to do it. Like I, that's something, that's a progression that I want to take in my career, but how is that going to impact my children even further? Right now, editing, I can edit from home, you know, and if I have an appointment, I can go with them if I need to and make up the time later. But with mixing, it's like, I am in that room nine to six and I can't leave, mm -hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, they're definitely decisions that I don't take lightly and I'm sure no other women do either. Like the extra thing on our mind that we have to take into consideration. Yeah. I was going to say the one other thing, just to answer your question about something that has to change, traineeships or just training people in the industry. I feel really strongly Bingo. about this. Remember what happened after Black Swan? Do you remember this at Sony? So two interns that I think were on Black Swan, the movie, the Darren Aronofsky film, they sued Sony, I believe. And after that, it was like intern is a hideous word. Do not mention the name intern. You know, it was mm. things, something shifted. And fair enough, nobody wants to be sued. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, they took it that one step further. And I've really noticed, like, you know, we're always looking for assistance. Like, and it's not like somebody can just come off the street and just know how to be an assistant. Like I was saying earlier, like, you need to be in the room and just see how you do it, see the progression of things, the process. So I really feel like there's kind of a lack of of people coming in um, and I wish that there was a training program and it would, but it would be really nice to just, and I, I really, I think sometimes we have to 
work with the unions to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where our union stands on it. It'd be great if, it were, if in the Editors Guild, if they had a classification for intern whereby, you know, you can work for 90 days as an intern and maybe get some compensation, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then you go out of the classification and then if you want to be, if someone wants to hire you, then great, you've got an in because you've already had that classification and Bob's your uncle. But (laughs) I know I'm simplifying it. (laughs) People listening are probably like, so much more complicated than that. But we've got to work on it because how else are we going to get people in? Especially women, people of colour, like people who don't have just money lying around where they can just work for free, you know. Yeah. I'm just going to say it, like, if you don't have the means, oftentimes you don't get into the industry and that sucks. That is, that is an awful, awful way to be getting people in this industry that people who can afford it can, can be in the industry. I mean, come on. Yeah. And having strong mentors is what will help us shape this industry in a new direction. Uh, having people like you who believe in making it better. We're a community of artists and we need to make this better. Yeah. Um, so I love that idea. As far as like starting out, starting out, um, because right. becoming an assistant is a little bit more advanced. Like if someone were right. just starting out, like how do you navigate that? I would say if you are interested in this as a job to go to a sound facility you can look them up look in the credits on imdb of a favorite i was just going to ask you that like if somebody reached out to you and said hey you know i'm interested in this career um what what would the advice be or you know what what do you think my first step should be yeah i i think i would totally respond yeah Um, (laughs) (laughs) that is so Um, important (laughs) yeah I mean don't be afraid and you're not annoying um I it's what I did I did this I did I just literally cold called these people and was like hey how do I do this you might meet someone who will just be the right person at the right time and you know it'll work out that's wonderful advice. And honestly, like if you have the time, like even if it's like one day a week, just ask, can I just come in and sit with you for a few hours? Mm-hmm. I mean, like some people might be in school. You might have some time, you know, in the morning. FaceTime is everything. That's what I think. I think, you know, once somebody meets you and they have your face in their mind, and you you forge a relationship, you get talking. That's so important. People are hired based on um, their rapport with people. Because mm-hmm. in the end, like we're working as a team. So you want somebody who's going to be you're great in a team, like fun to be around, you know, fun to have lunch with. I mean, let's face it, that is a huge part of this business too. Absolutely. Okay, here's, I think, Mer- I'm going to set Meredith up for this this uh, next question, which was, 
the probably the hardest question that we have on our list of questions. <laughs> yeah, harder than the last one. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh wow. And <laughs> can you tell us? Uh, do you have a favorite film of all time? Oh, this is so hard. Or a director, or some style, like you know, it doesn't. You have could to do. Be. You could do a top three. Yeah. We're we're open to a top three. Well, just as a feel-good, feel-good film, something that I'll always go back to, Singing in the Rain. Always, always, always love that film. And actually, funnily enough, has that sound element in it that um, that is coincidental, I swear. <laughs> For our listeners who have not seen Singing in the Rain, um, Singing in the Rain uh, takes place when films go from being silent films to being films with sound talkies it's a wonderful film so you should definitely watch it I mean anything Coen Brothers mm -hmm. it just is just, yeah I mean that's like fodder for you know film lovers just amazing and then I like The Big Blue by Luc Besson I don't know why that's kind of mm. even as a as a young person I just, that had an effect on me yeah there's so many though so many films I used to do this thing where I deep dive into a director I highly recommend it yeah like Wong Kar Wai is amazing and so different and I did that with Jim Jarmusch Stanley Kubrick yeah um Pedro Almodova like all great filmmakers that just you know take you places that it's yeah, I highly recommend deep dives. <laughs> yeah, I, it's a great idea. And being new in the business, like you can kind of start thinking about, well, what's my work like and what's my style going to be? So yeah. it helps really, it helps you identify like who you are as an artist. So I think that's such a great idea. And I think one, uh, one last question, what was the best advice that you were given? Andrew Plain, who was my first sound supervisor in Sydney said to me once, it's not about the tools, it's how you use them. It's like, use your ears. It is not about the technology that you have, anything like that. It's about listening and figuring out a way to make it sound the way you want it to sound. Um, and I really do still think about that today because especially going into a super technical field of sound uh, re-recording mixing where, you know, it's been intimidating for so long, you know, all the knobs on the boards. And um, I, I really think working with Skip Leavesay, who I work with up at Warner Brothers, he's really just taken the veil off it all and he's like it's not rocket science it's your ears it's just using your ears and you know I've worked with mixers who have all the plugins and all the things and Skip barely has any of that stuff and yet people constantly want to work with him because mm. his stuff sounds amazing and I think it literally is listening to what you have been given and figuring out how to make it better, not putting all the things on and then listening to it, you know? And I do use a lot of plugins. I do um, <laughs> just to make my life easier, but yeah. still it, in the end, it is about how it sounds, not, you know, how much noise you've taken out of a 
That's great. That's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lydia, this has been an absolute blast talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a blast talking to you too. (laughs) For more hours. (laughs) Me too. I I need to know more. Did you work at Fox Studios? Yeah, I do. Yeah, me too. That's where we were based out of.